This morning's Old Testament reading is from the book of Numbers. And again, I think I've made this observation before here. As Presbyterians, we, we don't hear a lot of readings from the book of Numbers. And so um, it's always uh, worth noting when we do. Uh, this reading is set at the moment when the Israelites, uh, having traveled from Egypt on their wilderness journey, have for the first time come to the borders of the promised land. And there Moses uh, shrewdly decides to send forth a scouting party, um, spies, to check out what lies ahead of them so he can get a tactical picture of the, the land that they are set to occupy. And they have gone on the mission and returned, and they're giving a, a, a sobering report back. So I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. Now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Then they told him and said, We went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. And moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. Here ends this reading. From God's holy word. This morning's New Testament reading brings us to the crux of Paul's letter to the Romans, the 8th chapter. Uh, this morning we'll hear a reading from the 26th through the 31st verses. I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. Likewise, Paul says, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And God, who searches the heart, 
knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn within a large family. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? Here ends this reading from God's holy word. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God. Now various other ancient copies of Paul's words to the Romans phrased it in this fashion. God makes all things work together for good. But in either case, we get the sense that he wants his readers to know that the triune God is in control. And even when we cannot discern it, he's on duty, bringing about what is right and just and good on behalf of his people. This remains as true today as it did when the apostle took note. Here at Rehoboth, we have been praying for a reformation of the church since last October, and it looks as if the good Lord is certainly answering those prayers. Granted, it might not be in the manner which we would have preferred, but it's hard to deny that our church and most every other church in this nation and so many around the world now find themselves also to be in a season of reformation. The old familiar ways of being church and even many of the new emerging models have in the last few months been disrupted. And the disruption hasn't stopped at the doors of the sanctuary. For we find ourselves in the midst of a reformation of so many political, social, and economic structures all around us, the speed and the depth of the change have been jarring. Many folks, including your pastor, have yet to catch their breath as the tectonic plates that are ushering this new era in are continuing to shift beneath our feet. But biblical history has shown us that before the Exodus, there was the Egyptian captivity, and that before Easter Sunday, there was Good Friday. In both those cases, things turned out okay. Well, maybe more than okay. But in both those cases, the delightfully surprising emergence of a new chapter in divine human relations were accompanied by the pangs of birth. In these cases and in so many others throughout the pages of scriptures like the stories of Job and of David, of Joseph and of Daniel, of Ruth and of Esther, God worked through their trials and brought them out on the other side through his divine providence, 
working all things for good, even the very worst things. Even the history of the church since her earliest days has been a story of shortcomings and failures that have been redeemed by the will and the power of the Almighty in surprising and often miraculous ways. So a reformation spurred on by a global pandemic accompanied by economic and social turmoil might not be so out of place in keeping with this theme. When the dust settles a bit, maybe after someone delivers the next inaugural address, maybe after a cure for COVID-19 has been found, maybe after we repaid the trillions of dollars of debt incurred by the global economy this year, at some point, the current disruptions will pass. But even then, we will not find ourselves once again back in Egypt as the Israelites were discovering over the course of two generations in the wilderness of Sinai, there is no going back. I'm coming to realize that the church, including ours, is being forever altered. We had hoped and we had prayed for some new things to be revealed to us. But in the process, I see now that there has been and that there will be a great deal of loss associated with the birth of this new thing which God is doing. The women who went to Jesus' tomb at sunrise on the first day of the week went there to perform a solemn duty. They were in mourning over what they had lost. When they found that his body was missing, they were perplexed. They were feeling a a confusing number of emotions all at once. And I've been doing some mourning over what has been lost here at Rehoboth. I've also been confused and perplexed. This probably comes as no big surprise to most of you. Wondering, as those at the tomb did, what can this mean? And what do we do now? As always, but perhaps especially now, we must depend on the Spirit to help us in our weakness, to give us the words to pray when we don't know where to begin, to give us direction when we are wandering in the wilderness. Like Paul, I'm confident that God will act in due time and in a perfect manner For the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. As back in October then, we wait and we hope and we pray by the Spirit's leading that we would be led by the Spirit to do God's will in a new chapter of the life of this church and her ongoing ministry. Even if it happens to look markedly different, from that which we've known thus far. It's not that change will come, it's a matter that change has come. And now we are discerning how to faithfully respond. This applies to individual Christians just as much as it does for congregations of Christians, including ours here at Rehoboth. All of us are faced 
with the opportunity now to evaluate our lives in Christ and our witness to Christ and to pray ourselves into and through the process of response. You may expect this to be difficult and long-term work. It's not something that we are accustomed to doing as the changes outside are causing changes within us. Fundamental alterations in our understanding of our place and our calling in God's kingdom are profound. So if you feel a bit out of your comfort zone, well then welcome to the club. But through it all, Paul's assurance rings true. If God is for us, who is against us? So it may be difficult work, but it is not impossible work as we're not on our own. God is with us in the midst of it and will continue to be with us through thick and thin, through life and death and beyond. So as we continue to put one paw in front of the other as we think, think, think about what God is revealing to us in terms of our work as the church in this new age, we may take heart in knowing that the Spirit is guiding us and that the good Lord is going to work it all out bit by bit. The same goes for the country. We are arguably as divided now as we have been since the days of the Nixon administration. Each new day brings with it headlines about the ways we are being uncivil to our brothers and sisters. And so, Wayne, what a timely prayer your friend has shared with us today. People are wringing their hands over the state of our disunion. Even after the fall of the greatest of empires, time and again we see the world changes and it goes on. Such history may help to inform, remind, and perhaps even comfort the church. Great societal and political upheavals in the past have ushered in with them new maps, new institutions, even new nations. Who knows what God is doing with and in the church in this hour? I believe the answer is, to borrow a phrase from the last great church reformation, sola Deo, God alone. But if God's hand is on the wheel, if God is in control and working for the redeeming of his creation, and we creatures therein, working all things together for good, then it's not our place to worry. If God is for us, begins Paul. Well, since we're finally, at last, now in baseball season, we might say that's a pretty good start in lineup. Whatever war chest the opposing team has, however high his payroll is, however many unrestricted free agents and first-round draft picks he has, whatever roster that opponent puts together, despite what the scouting reports might be, just as was the case with the intel that the spies brought the Israelites regarding the land of promise, as we heard this morning, the powers and the principalities have nothing on us on account of our skipper. To discern with the Spirit's guidance what position we are to play 
what role as individuals and as a congregation we are to play, how we fit in, yes, all of that is absolutely faithful, if challenging work. But we are not called to be so anxious, nor so depressed, nor so fearful, nor so despairing that our lives come to a standstill, for that is the path for those who have no hope. Paul reminds his friends through his letter to the Romans that that no longer includes those, nor does it describe those who are in Christ. We who are being conformed to the image of God's Son, we who have been predestined, called, justified, and glorified by the Creator, Sustainer, and Redeemer of all that was, of all that is, and of all that ever shall be. So, my brothers and sisters in Christ, take heart. Be then of good cheer. Do not let your hearts be discouraged. For even in the midst of change in the world, in the nation, and even perhaps especially in the church, we are still, we are forever children of the Most High, and He is even now revealing His plans for and to us by the power of the Spirit. So stay tuned. Keep listening to Him, trusting in Him, following Him as He works all things together for good for those who love Him. And for that, we may truly say, thanks be to God and amen.